This is Holden Karnofsky doing an amateur read-through of my blog post, Why It Matters If Ideas Get Harder to Find. And for some context, this is third in a series. The first was called Where's Today's Beethoven? It was an in-depth piece that I did audio for. The second piece was a shorter one, just kind of outlining what it could mean for artistic ideas to get harder to find. Some people find that concept very hard to swallow, and some people find it easy, that it could get harder over time to make great art. So um, I probably haven't done audio for that piece yet. I might do it later. It's relatively short if you want to try to read it. But now we're on the third piece in the series, which is why it matters if ideas get harder to find. All right, so here we go. There's been a fair amount of attention over the last few years on the idea that ideas are getting harder to find. And that link goes to a paper that I think is the main source of this term. That is, the number of people doing research has grown exponentially, but various measures of research progress have not. In previous posts, I argued that the same dynamic applies to certain types of art as well as science. That is, we have a growing population, growing rates of education, falling poverty, etc., which you would think would lead to more great art, but the production of great art, as judged by critical acclaim, doesn't seem to be keeping up. Now, why does this matter? The usual story here for why this matters is something like this. Oh, it's really scary that ideas are getting harder to find. We should try to fix whatever is going wrong so we can get back to a high level of scientific and artistic output. But this usual story seems to me like a misreading of the evidence. The issue is not that our culture is getting worse at finding ideas, but rather that ideas naturally get harder to find because that's just how it is. And I defended that idea in the earlier piece, Where's Today's Beethoven? And I also linked to another piece that argues it from another angle. Now, I believe in a different set of implications that ideas get harder to find. So the implications are, first, by default, we should expect further stagnation in scientific output and in certain kinds of artistic output. Second, the most likely routes to avoiding stagnation run through the sorts of things discussed in a paper I recently wrote about. Population growth matters, effective population growth matters, that is making it possible for more people, especially in poor countries, to become scientists and artists, and artificial intelligence could greatly increase the pace of innovation. Cultural and institutional reform could help too, but they frankly seem like smaller potatoes than the three things I just said. And third, we should think of scientists and artists as discovering or even mining ideas rather than as creating them. Intellectual property law and norms should be consistent with this. In particular, I think we'd see more and better art and entertainment if we did more to encourage explicit riffing on existing works. Next section, stagnation by default. I previously wrote about a growth economics paper by Charles Jones discussing the implications of what are called semi-endogenous growth models, in which A, the more people there are trying to produce new ideas, the more new ideas we get, but B, at the same time, ideas get harder to find over time. I think this paper contains the most important implications of why it matters if ideas get harder to find. The paper argues that by default, we should expect idea production to fall over time. The main thing that could push against this dynamic is a fast enough increase in the number of people trying to have ideas, number of innovators. This could be caused by population growth, or by effective population growth, which means growth in the number of people who have a decent shot at being innovators. For example, having adequate nutrition, education, and access to people and cultures in which they can learn to innovate. We might get effective population growth if we could do a better job making innovator paths open to more people, 
for example, by lowering barriers for people in poor countries or for women in currently male-dominated fields. Improving culture and institutions could help with this too. But in the long run, there's only so high the percentage of the population with a decent shot at being innovators can go. So in the long run, if we want to keep up the pace of innovation, we need growth in the overall population, or something that creates a similar effect, such as advanced AI. Now, something like advanced AI could cause an explosion in innovation, but without something like that, we're probably eventually looking at stagnation. And for the explosion, I linked to a previous series on uh, where I really explore in, in quite a bit of depth the potential implications of advanced AI and why I think it could make this the most important century. Now, overall, I think that today's discourse around ideas get harder to find is overly obsessed with improving culture and institutions, as opposed to increasing the sheer number of people with a shot at being innovators, which I see as a likely larger and more sustained route to increased innovation. Next section, innovation as mining. Another implication of ideas getting harder to find is a bit softer and more metaphorical. It has to do with the way we think about innovators and their role in the world. One metaphor for innovation is that of conjuring ideas from thin air. I think this is the default way people tend to think of innovation. They tend to imagine that the world's enjoyment of an idea is entirely thanks to the person who had it. An example of this attitude would be a website called scienceheroes.com, which credits each scientist with saving as many lives as their technology ever saved. You would think it would just credit them for speeding up the technology, but they're credited as if everything that ever happened from that technology is thanks to them. Now, I think this attitude tends to be even stronger with artists. Copyrights last an incredibly long time, and there is a general attitude that artists have the absolute moral right to control how their work, including characters, fictional universes, etc., is used. Instead of thinking of innovators as conjuring ideas from thin air, I prefer to think of them as mining. When an innovator publishes an idea, they're speeding up how fast the world benefits from the idea, but if it weren't for them, someone else would have had a chance to come up with something similar. I think this applies significantly to art as well as science. As discussed previously, many of the most acclaimed works of art are the sort of thing that only could have been done once. Now, a central contrast for the conjuring versus mining frames is how you think legendary innovators of the past would fare in today's world, where, due to past innovation, ideas are harder to find. I think people tend to default to assuming that a clone of Shakespeare or Mozart or Beethoven transplanted to the modern world would achieve the same sort of Shakespeare or Mozart or Beethoven-like stature. By contrast, I feel as though, for example, Aaron Sorkin's career would be something of a best-case outcome for Shakespeare, and that's a writer who did the TV series The West Wing and some other things. Now, when I'm viewing innovators through a mining lens, I think we should ask questions like, How much did an innovator speed up an idea, not just create it? And how helpful was it to speed it up? Someone who's very far ahead of their time, maybe that should be considered a miss instead of being considered extra impressive. Because if an idea sat around unused for a long time, this implies someone else could have had a similar idea in that time without the world missing out on anything in particular. What did an innovator do with the intellectual property they laid claim to? Did they make the most of it? George Lucas is revered for creating the Star Wars universe, but if we think something like Star Wars was inevitable, should we instead judge him negatively for mismanaging the intellectual property, as evidenced by the fact that Star Wars works after the first three movies have been lackluster? Now, none of this is meant to question the brilliance it takes to be the first to find and develop an exciting idea, or the huge value that can come of it. I'm pointing to a subtle shift in our model, but I think it's a potentially important one.
Next section. Want more and better art? Normalize riffing on past work. I think of art and science as having a lot in common. In both cases, an innovator puts some amount of work into developing an idea. And then once it's developed, it can be freely understood, used, and enjoyed by unlimited numbers of people. And in both art and science, innovators can build on each other's ideas, but still, it seems that ideas get overall harder to find over time, as the low-hanging fruit is picked. But it seems to me that science has much healthier intellectual property norms compared to art. In science, it's understood that just because someone had an insight, this doesn't mean that the insight is their property forever. A lot of scientific ideas can be cited, built upon, and even used commercially without needing to pay royalties or be apologetic. Some ideas are protected by patents, but these patents tend to be much more limited and short-lived protections than copyright. By contrast, if you want to write your own stories building on someone else's characters and fictional universe, you're confined to fanfiction, a low-status genre with no hope of commercialization. Now imagine a world in which we saw protection of artistic intellectual property as a necessary evil to get the economics and incentives right rather than as a matter of justice for the creator who morally owns their ideas. In this world, music, fiction, etc. would be protected long enough for financial purposes, but they'd quickly become fair game for other artists to build upon in whatever way they want. Sequels, prequels, extensions, anything, as long as they give attribution. I think this could be particularly useful for getting more art that is simultaneously accessible and innovative. And I wrote previously about why that could be important. So today, if you want to write a space opera, you need to kind of dance around some of the classic plot points, character traits, fictional technologies, and other ideas from Star Wars and other classics. You either need to avoid these classic ideas completely, which will ensure your work won't feel derivative and stale, but it means you miss out on ideas that have broad appeal, or you go ahead and copy important things in a way that feels stale and could cheapen the overall feel of the work. Only people with the intellectual property rights to make sequels can fully explicitly acknowledge and extend the ideas, let's say in Star Wars, and that gives them a chance to make something fresh yet recognizable. In the case of Star Wars, I believe the few people with this opportunity don't seem to have made the most of it, which is why I picked that example. Changing norms around artistic intellectual property seems to me like a promising route to getting more art that is both accessible and innovative, and could serve as future classics. I think this is much more promising than trying to figure out what we can learn from ancient Greek culture or Elizabethan culture, the Shakespeare period.